Good morning. Please hear this word from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, starting with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we come to the end of a series that began all the way back in January. First Sunday of January, we began a series called The Community of Christ. And the motivation for the series was to ask, what is community all about in the community of Christ? Why is community important for Christ followers? So we looked at the characteristics of a Christ community. In particular, we're asking today, how does that apply to us uh, in this final sermon? Matter of fact, when you think back, if you were here enough, you might remember that we talked about what community means. We talked about the church being eternal, not a transitory thing. It, it marches on through time and into eternity. We talked about learning, learning at community level through the word, through tradition, through the spirit. We talked about sharing with one another in community. We talked about worship, a four-part series on worship, and what are the characteristics of a community of Christ that worships together. We talked about prayer. We talked about being equipped to serve. Uh, And today, we end with talking about sending. How is it that the church is sent? And what does that mean to our community? You might wonder why I chose the passage that I did. Because you may say to yourself, you know, there's a lot of other passages that are about sending out. What's this one got to do with sending out? I think there is something there. It's in this gospel of Luke, chapter 4, that Jesus is invited to come to his hometown. Word about him is spread around, and he's invited to come be a part of worship. When he's invited to come be a part of worship, he steps into this thing called synagogue worship. Now, it's not identical to what we have today, but there are some interesting parallels. Let me give you a a little bit of an insight into what synagogue worship would have been like on that day. First of all, you had to have a quorum, let's say. In this case, a quorum was 10 Jewish men before you could have a service. Then at the very beginning of the service, you opened up with the recitation of the Shema, which is actually a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
everybody in unison, as we often do in a corporate confession or in a scripture reading or praying the Lord's Prayer, everybody in unison would say these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then it goes on to say, You shall take these commands that I've impressed upon you and write them on your heart. Write them on your forehead. Write them on your hands. And walk about the day thinking about them. Teach your, ch- your children about them along the way. Make it an integrated part of your life. What? The Word of God. There's a rich tradition among us concerning the importance of the Word of God, and it comes right from here. The Shema reminds us that we got to hide the Word of God in our heart. As the psalmist says, so that we might not sin against you. Then there was a time of prayer. And part of the time of prayer was 18 benedictions. We only have one. We really need to up our game. 18 benedictions. There was the reading of the Torah, which um, was very common. And it was read in Hebrew first but especially in the town of Nazareth where Aramaic was an important part of the culture and the language group, it was also translated into Aramaic. So you had a bilingual congregation. The Torah was read following the reading of the Torah, as we do. The exposition of the text was delivered by the preacher. And uh, then a benediction was given at the end. What was traditional is that visiting rabbis, in this case Jesus, a visiting teacher, would be invited to read the text of Scripture and expound that text. So that's how we have Jesus in this picture. Now I want to circle back around to the question I asked at the beginning. Why use this passage to speak about sending people out? Well, it's interesting because Jesus is going back to his hometown, right? Doesn't seem like he's being sent out. But he gives us a window or a hint into what the kingdom of God is all about. And the hint that he gives us are two passages from the Old Testament. He refers to Elijah and Elisha, two epic prophets in the history of the Old Testament. And he says, I want you to remember when those two prophets were sharing the word of the Lord... They could have shared it in a variety of places, but two remarkable things happened when they stood outside the boundary of Israel, the insiders, and shared it with someone else. Elijah, he said, went to the the widow of Zarephath. Now, there were other widows who needed help in Israel, but Elijah went there and shared what we might call good news and performed a miracle. Jesus also said, you might remember when Elisha was the prophet following Elijah. On one occasion, a person who actually could have done them great harm came to Israel. His name was Naaman, and he was a general. But he had leprosy. And Elisha healed him. A Gentile outside of Israel. Now, you have to look carefully to assume, and I do, That Jesus is saying something about the good news concerning the kingdom of God. 
that it's bigger than Israel. It's bigger than this moment. It's bigger for sure than Nazareth where I'm speaking, says Jesus. It's for the whole world. The content of his exposition of this text is pretty straightforward. He reads the passage, and then he says, the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. He makes an audacious claim. He says, this passage is about me. It it doesn't leave much wiggle room, does it? He doesn't say, let's think about it. Wonder what it's about. There's five different meanings. The passage is about me. You either believe that or you don't. Fine if you don't, but wonderful if you believe. He goes on to say that this message that I'm announcing is about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, as he says later, is among you. In other words, the kingdom of God has come. Why has the kingdom of God come? Because I'm standing here. I'm the king. I'm ushering in the kingdom. The kingdom is right here, right now. You don't need to look to the future. You just need to look around you. The kingdom is present. Then he goes on to say this. What is the kingdom about? What is, we might call, the sharing of the good news all about? He said, I've come to preach good news to the poor. I've come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. I've come to give recovery of sight to the blind. I've come to release those who are oppressed. You know what our default mechanism is in our tradition? Is to see all of those as spiritual metaphors. Right? We look at them and say, well, it means those who are poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. We look at those and we say, freedom for the prisoners and the oppressed, that means freedom from sin. We look at these declarations and we say, sight for the blind? What that really means is spiritual sight. You're blind in your hearts until you have faith. All those things are true. I, I don't mean to diminish them. But I do mean to add something to them that is equally true. There is a practical element to the proclamation of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. It's not just spiritual. It's not just a metaphor. It's real. How's it real? Well, because Jesus ministered to the needs of the poor. He brought people in who were outsiders, who were not a part of the righteous core. He was accused of being a friend of sinners, which was supposed to be a slanderous thing. He was accused of bringing in harlots and prostitutes and thieves and every part of society that was said to be wrong. Jesus brought them in. What was he bringing them into? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So there's something incredibly practical as well as spiritual. He ministered to the poor because they needed it. 
healed the sick because they didn't have any other remedy. He touched the eyes of the blind because they needed to see. The good news of Jesus Christ, just these examples, is broader than the salvation of souls. It is about eternal salvation. But it's bigger than that. Much bigger. What happened following this announcement? Jesus played out the very things he said he had come to do. Take a look at the chapters that follow chapter 4 of Luke. You're going to find one description after another of Jesus reaching out to the poor, healing the sick, touching the eyes of the blind, and taking people away from oppression. That's what he did. You know what else is true? When he's about ready to leave this earth, he basically says this, you saw me do this for three years. Now it's your turn. Go do what I did. We often call it the Great Commission. We're at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Go be the good news. And you know what happened? In the book of Acts, they did just that. The apostles taught the word. The apostles spread the good news. The apostles healed the sick. They raised the dead. They touched the blind and the lame. Their ministry was practical. There's also something else to this great commission. It's go and share. What that means is that Christianity is not an exclusive club. It's not just for us, for our own satisfaction. It's for the world. Or put it more directly, you can't be a Christian to yourself. You have been given forgiveness and restoration. And you have been given the responsibility to share it. That's what it means to follow Christ. Not just to be good and okay and warm in your heart, but to give. As the disciples continue to play out this scene, you, you know how it happened at the very beginning. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and proclaims the gospel, and 3,000 people come to understand Christ as a Messiah. And then it just spreads like wildfire. And then eventually, very early on, as a matter of fact, that same Peter who got up and preached and thought he was talking to all a Jewish audience realizes through a vision that this is not just about a Jewish audience. This is about the whole world. It's about everybody. Everybody. It's good news for the world. And so from that day on, the disciples started sending out. They sent Paul and Silas. They sent Paul and Barnabas. And all kinds of names begin to emerge of people who are just going out and sharing the good news. And many of them were given the power by God to heal the sick and touch the eyes of the blind. 
So what about us? I don't remember a single time in my life where I touched anybody's eyes and they could see. Sometimes, on occasion, I've thought, I must not be spiritual enough for that work. On other occasions, I realize that the means for healing are right in front of me. That for someone who cannot see, I could actually make a difference by paying for them to see a doctor. By taking a mission trip to Guatemala and passing out free glasses to everyone who is sight impaired. Doing that kind of thing, reaching out in real time and touching people is proclaiming the good news. On one occasion, one of my favorite missionaries, you know, I talk about him all the time, David Mensa. David Mensa hit the ground. He went back to Ghana, which he was where he was from, trying to do some of the same kind of work that Curtis is trying to do in his hometown. Think Nazareth. <laughs> He's back there trying to help the poor, reaching out. He was there for five years, he told me, five years, and he had a counterpart with him all the time pushing him. We got to share the gospel. We got to share the good news. We got to tell people about Jesus. And David said to me, I said to him, we are. We're drilling wells and giving people clean water. We're going into their community and we're doing our best to heal the sick. Eventually, he had the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. But not on day one. There's a, a passage in the epistle, one of the epistles to Peter, of Peter, that is a sort of a slogan for those of us who knew something about what we call Christian apologetics. And the phrase goes like this, be ready always to give a defense or a reason for the hope that's within you. You know what we turned that into? We turned it into argument and debate, trying to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not against that. But my friends, that's not the context of the passage. You know what the context of the passage is? Christians who are suffering under the heavy hand of Rome and still have hope. And then someone asks, how do you have hope? Be ready to tell them why. So when people ask David Mensa, why are you doing this? He would say, because Jesus called me to do it. I'd like to tell you about Jesus. I wish we could think that way a little more, my friends. Instead of coming up with pat answers and ideas to share our faith, how about if we just are the light of Christ? And people wonder why we're different. We have an opportunity to say why. So I want to finish with a final flurry of three words. Very simple. You can remember it very easily. What is our responsibility based on what we've just read and what we believe about the early church? First, we're called to go. Second, we're called to grow. And third, we're called to glow. Go. 
says Jesus. It's not optional. You can't hide this light under a bushel. It'll be invisible and it'll go out. It's got to be shared, so go. Get out there and share the good news. I I love the way um, a Methodist theologian once described evangelism or sharing the good news. So do you know what sharing the good news was like? It's, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's like saying, I, I met Jesus and I was hungry. My soul was starving. And now I'm having a feast. Can I show you where to find the bread? We can't go everywhere, right? Where can you go? Well, you can go to work. You can go into your community. You can go into the grocery store. You can be in those places. But as a part of our tradition here at this church, we have supported missions all over the world because that's another way to go. We can't go everywhere, but we can send people. And we have sent people all over the world. And they're doing work we can never do. Evangelism or going is not an option. If you have good news, you've got to share it. So first is go. The second is grow. Individualism, my friends, is a big problem in our society. You know it well, right? We're all about us. When I say grow, one of the primary ways to grow is to stop thinking about yourself and to start thinking about others. Yes, of course, growing is understanding the Word of God and studying together. But you know how you do that a lot of times, and the best is in community. How do you grow? You grow in community. You grow in community because iron sharpens iron. You grow in community not because you want to be at church with the people you're sitting next to, because you don't want to be. Because you'd rather sleep in. Because some of the people you're next to irritate you. Don't look sideways. Not, not now. They annoy you incessantly, and that's why you need to be part of a learning community. It's how you grow. Yeah, you can grow by studying the Word, but you'll grow more if you study the Word in community. And you can grow by studying the Word in community, but you will also grow when you serve. Because it's then, when you serve selflessly others, the fruit of the Spirit will start popping out on your tree. For love, hope, and peace, and patience, and all those wonderful virtues that come from Jesus will emerge because you're serving others. So go, grow, and glow. You know that little uh, song? We actually sang it first service because Marietta led us in the song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. When I grew up as a kid, we sing it at Sunday school all the time. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, and then we would put in words. Besides, till Jesus comes, we would put let it shine in Hope Sound, which was my little town. 
And then we would advance until we would say, let it shine in the whole world. How do you glow? <laughs> How do you let your light shine? Well, a few ways I'll suggest. You have a joyful spirit no matter what your circumstances are. People look and say, man, you ought to be grumpy or at least down, but you seem like you're full of joy. Why? Another way I think you glow is that you just have a different perspective on life. People sometimes are just going to look at you and think you're weird. How do you see that there? <laughs> you see things differently. That's the way you glow. There's another way you, you glow. You celebrate the forgiveness you've received by forgiving others. That was at the heart of Jesus' message. To the ones who have received much, namely forgiven much, much is required. So we have to be the most forgiving people in the world. Then our light will shine. Where do you glow? Anywhere you are. You start right where you are. I mentioned David Mensa and how he landed in the northern part of Ghana and started looking around and seeing the needs. Before it was all over, years later, you know this, we've supported them for years. His ministry has now seen a vision almost come to completion, which is the building of a hospital. David tells amazing stories about some healings in his community for people who were poor and couldn't go to the hospital. But you know what? He was realistic that the light of Christ is in the medical community as well. It's in the hands of those doctors. It's in the mind of those doctors. It's in the healthcare professionals. They're actually healing people. And they're teaching people to grow food for their bodies to make them healthy. He just looked around and he said, there's a need. What can I do? We are just blessed to be a part of it because we can't go to Ghana except on a trip. But he lives there. And because we partner with him, he can do even more. That's about going, growing, glowing. And this morning, my friend, Pastor Curtis tells a very similar story. A community that is absolutely blighted. On his street, there's only one occupied house. I saw it. All the rest of them are deserted or torn down. It's desolate. What did he do? Felt the call of God to go back home. To go back to his Nazareth. And to see what he could do to elevate people in the name of Jesus. What can we do? As it relates to fixing anything in Gary, nothing. 
as it relates to partnering with Pastor Curtis to do that, everything. We can go and grow and glow vicariously through the body of Christ. So let's think that way. huh? Let's think about our world that way and be the body of Christ, the community of Christ that we're called to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge that you give us not to be quiet and to stand still. Thank you for the command that you give us to go into all the world. Thank you for the fact that that command produces growth in us when we serve others. And Lord, may we be committed to stepping outside our four walls, to working with people who work with people, to be the hands and feet of Jesus as a church that's sent into the world. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.